scriptures. Again, we're talking about uh, the subject of memorizing scripture, and I'm trying to encourage us all to do that and not shy away from that. <clears throat> okay, let's look there. Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, and we will, again, we've read this, this will be the third time we've read it in the last few weeks uh, on Wednesday night. I, I want to just put it in our mind, you know, the places in Scripture where it talks about somebody reading, somebody trying to memorize, uh, somebody not, trying, not forgetting God's Word, and we're just taking heed to that. And there's been eight things that I've in, tried to encourage us with that help us to remember things that help us to remember God's Word and memorize it. And uh, so let's just look right here. Let's just read the Scripture, think on it for a moment, and, and we'll get into some examples here. <clears throat> so it's talking about when God, uh, when Israel's to have a king, and what they're to do, and what that king is to do. Notice the beginning of verse 14. When thou art come unto the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt possess it, and shalt dwell therein, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like as all the nations that are about me. Thou shalt in any wise set him a king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose, one from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother, but he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt, to the end that he should multiply horses. For as much as the Lord hath said unto you, you shall henceforth... Return no more that way. <clears throat> Notice verses 17 now to 29. Neither, uh, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away. Neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So here's some things that we'll just pause right there. We're talking about a king of Israel. When, it, when Israel is, they were small at this point. They're still just kind of some ransom slaves, a gigantic family, and God's bringing them out, and He's teaching them, okay, now in the years ahead, you're going to want a king, and it's okay. You're going to have a king, and here's how it's going to happen. And God chooses them. He's not to be, uh, you know, making it kind of His own business to multiply silver and gold for Himself and horses for Himself, and He's not going to be, He's not to be a polygamist. And some of them did that, and they violated that. Um, that's what God said. He's, he's, those are some of the initial parameters. But then he says, Israel, just remember this. When you get a king, here's one thing this king needs to do. Now, what we're going to read is, in these few verses, is that God wanted whatever king they have to have a personal connection with him. You know, some people... You know, the president has a personal connection with some people right now. You know, there's people, of course, he's got the vice president, probably his closest guy, um, and then maybe some others. And maybe there's somebody outside that he wants to just right away connect with. Well, here, the emphasis is this king needs to have a personal connection with God, and here's how we're going to express that. Notice what it says. It shall be, verse 18, when he, 
sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. Pardon me. He shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests of the Levites, the priests of Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandments to the right hand or to the left, to the end, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. One of the things is, is God says, write, again, this king's to write a copy of the law, the Bible itself, in this case, less books. Write a handwritten copy and you keep it with you and you read out of it, Mr. King, and <clears throat> to be connected with your God so that you don't get distracted, your heart turned to the right or turned to the left. Sometimes when you're successful, you can turn one way or another. Sometimes when you're failing, you can turn aside one way or another. And God said, I want him to stay connected. And uh, that'll prolong his family, his kingdom, etc. But here you have the idea of a man in an important position needing to remember God's word and stay connected. Now, it doesn't say thou shalt memorize. It doesn't say that there. But the concept of memorizing scripture is in the Bible still. Uh, the psalmist said, I will not forget thy word. Um, David said, thy word have I hid in mine heart. If it's good enough for David and that psalmist that said, I will not forget thy word, I guess it's good enough for us. And, and there's ways we can help that can help us remember God's word. I'm thinking of an older couple. This was funny. I read this. You know, you get older and you start forgetting things. <clears throat> uh, older couple had trouble remembering things, day-to-day -day things, you know. So they decided that they're going to write notes whenever somebody, you know, and I'm already doing this. I don't know. I've been doing this since I was in my 20 notes, but... They decided they're going to write down whenever the one has a request. You need, what do you need? Okay, you want me to get some eggs? Okay, they'll write it down and they'll, even if it's in their house, they'll go over and get some eggs or whatever, you know. What is that you need? You want me to go get the mail? Let me write that down, you know. And so they started writing down everything so they wouldn't forget. Um, but one evening, the wife asked the husband if he'd like anything after supper. And he said, absolutely. He says, I'll have large ice cream. Sunday with chocolate ice cream, um, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. All right. She goes walking off into the kitchen. He's like, hey, aren't you going to write that down? She said, no, don't be silly. I'm going to fix it right now. I'm going right at it. I won't forget it. Well, she was in the kitchen for a good while doing something. Finally, she returned after a good while and sat right in front of him, uh, brought it right to him, it wasn't ice cream, though. She brought him a large plate of hash browns, eggs, bacon, and a glass of orange juice. He took a look at it and said, I knew you should have written, you should have written it down. You forgot the toast. <laughs> you know? That's funny. They both forget there. But so, you know, our memories sometimes fade and uh, the short-term memory, sometimes long-term memory starts fading too. That's kind of sad. But what are ways we can remember? Well, one of the, there's eight things. I'll, again, I'm not going to camp out on them. It's mainly the last two we'll spend a little more time on. We talked about reading. Read, if you just read, you're going to remember. It'll, you'll remember something. 
right? All right, read. We talked about, on the thought of reading, why don't we read the Bible? What were some of the reasons we said last week? What was it that, that I, I did a little survey myself and some research? and What were some of the examples? Why don't people read the Bible? What would be kind of the most obvious thing as far as a worldwide problem? People are, Ill, what's that? Oh, there you go. Don't believe it. Can't read. Some can't read. Some, if they can read, they don't believe it. Um, that's right. Some don't have it. They don't have a copy. There you go. Can't read. If I can read, I don't believe it. Some don't even have a copy. If I did uh, want to read, I don't have a copy. Well, none of that should be our problem in here. We have a copy. We can't. I'm pretty sure we can all read, and uh, we, we believe it. Um, some say, I'm too busy. Um, some admit, I'm just lazy. Um, and then some say, oh, I can't understand. Um, but I think if we want to understand, we can't understand. I mean, there's obviously there's other languages of the world where maybe there's a lousy translation or something that's not, or none at all, and they can't understand. But we can even understand ours. There's, um, it's not as hard as people think. Well, how, let's think about this. We're, we, we want to read the Bible to help us know God and remember what He says. What are, what are some reasons why we shouldn't read it? I mean, I should say less than the best motives. Sometimes we read it for maybe less than the best motive. Um, there might be reasons that we read the Bible where it's not really maybe the best reason to read the Bible. Anybody have an answer there? The best reason. It could be an okay reason. Yannick? Not the best reason. Showing off. There you go. All right. How about um, sometimes, okay, sometimes we read it to get through an academic requirement. Right? Now, I had that academic requirement of reading my Bible in college, but I was already in the habit of doing it because I wanted to know God. But then there's, if we only do it for an academic requirement, like, ah, I got to do this in school, well, that's not the best reason to, that's, I'm glad you're reading it, that's not the best reason. The whole point on, on trying to refine through these lower motives is because we should approve the things that are excellent. It's more excellent to read it for another reason. But sometimes we read it because it's an academic requirement. Sometimes we read it because, I hate to say this, but sometimes maybe we're that where teachers, well, i got to get a lesson, so i got to read my Bible. Yeah. That's good to read your Bible, and it's good to read your Bible as part of, a get, part of getting a lesson. But you don't want to just only read your Bible so you have a lesson. That seems uh, like we could do better than that. It's not just an academic book. Sometimes people read the Bible because I'm going to prove something wrong to somebody else. So I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it to prove them wrong. Where is it at? And that might be the only time or one of the few times they finally get in the Bible. So I'm going to prove somebody wrong. Well, obviously the Bible is a plumb line and that it is a standard. And, we, and if there's something like we need to see that will help correct, that's good. But if that's the only reason we read it, it's just to kind of... Because in other words, my agenda out here is threatened with somebody. Well, the Bible might can help me fix my issue with that person. 
Well, then, I mean, you know, or somebody says, I want to prove something right. I've got to be right. It's got to be in here somewhere in the Bible that says what I'm doing and my attitude is right to have somewhere in here. It's got to say it. I mean, sometimes people run to the Bible to just fish that word out or that phrase out to justify what they're already trying to do. So sometimes we're reading it or running to it for the wrong reasons. Now, I know some people, this can actually, some of it times it can work for good, where there's a Christian that's maybe out of church, um, out of the Bible, it's maybe even just, maybe they're out of the Bible, and they sp- speak to a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness will really speak to you. They like to take up a lot of your time. And they might shake up your mind a little bit. Mormons maybe not as much because they want to try to, they'll fall over themselves to try to agree with you. But then it'd be like, that just doesn't sound right. And then maybe you do go to the Bible. You're like, okay, I better just get my Bible. I can't find it. I don't know where the address is, but I just better start reading it because I know that's what he's saying is not right. So, um, but really the best reason to read the Bible is because you can commune with God. So it's not even so much merely, well, I memorize scripture and I want to, you know, it's really ultimately, what do we want to do? We want to commune with God. It's his love letter. It's his voice. Um, and then on the, in, in connection to that is why do I want to read the Bible? Because I want to need to be fed. There's a spiritual side of me. I need to eat. Right? Thy words were found and I did eat them, Jeremiah said. And Job said that um, I desired your food, this word, more than my necessary food. And Peter tells us to desire the sincere milk of the word. So it is likened to food. So read, but reading it does help us remember, obviously. Number three, we, we noticed how hearing it helps us to remember. Hear it read. Let's look at Nehemiah 8. I didn't read this last time. But this is when there was a certain revival that was taking place in Nehemiah's day. And I think I mentioned this, but I don't think we read the text. Where... They were getting the whole nation acquainted with the Bible again. They had been in captivity. I don't know how much they could have read it then. They came back out, and now they're getting acquainted with God's Word again. They were unplugged from it. And uh, they were all gathered together, and it was Nehemiah and Ezra there. And um, it says there, boy, there's so much. Let's look at verse 1. It says, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street. Nehemiah 8.1. All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street. This is a public event here. Everybody's going to be hearing the Bible read. And that was before the water gate. And they spake unto uh, Ezra the, the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. This is about their early uh, October. And he read therein before the street, that was before the water gate, from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law, Look what it says in verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. He was standing on a pulpit of wood. It was like a platform. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. 
I mean, that was fresh to them. Like, oh, well, let's, let's, we really need to hear this. Verse 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So this thing stimulated some real, just reading. They, nobody was even preaching. Isn't that amazing? Nobody was even preaching. It was being read, and they were hearing it, and then people were just stimulated to provoke, I should say, even to you know, fall down and worship in this case. Verse 8, so they read in the book, skip up to verse 8, so they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And then some of them were crying, some of them were happy. Look what it says in verse 10. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto the... Un Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto the Lord our God. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And there was part of a, this was part of one of their um, holidays. And he's like, come on, have the food you're supposed to. Hey, you know, this is obviously not keto diet or Adkins or, huh? Yeah. So anyways, look at verse 18. Uh, also that day, the end, last verse of the chapter, also... Day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according to the manner. I'm just showing you an example of when there was public reading, and all the people, they just heard it, and it, and it, it affected them, and, and it affected their, um, them re, resetting their holidays and uh, living for the Lord. All right, so there was eight things. We talked about reading, hearing it. Number three, meditating on the word helps us remember it. Um, Psalm 119.15 says, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. It, meditating reminds me of marinating. When you marinate meat, oh, Yolanda, that carne asada was the best. Sorry to embarrass you. She gave us some carne asada a couple weeks ago. That was awesome. It was like, I don't know what they marinate that stuff in, man, but that's good. And when you marinate meat, of course, it, that... The marinade becomes, it soaks in, becomes part of the meat. And it's part of it. It's just, it's part of the deal. And it tastes good. And so with us, meditating is like letting God's word just marinate in us and it becomes part of us. And we know it well. Instead of being like, oh yeah, and it bounces off of us. Number four, so read, hear, meditate, recite it to yourself. That's really a lot of, that's part of meditating too, is you can kind of say it back to yourself. Um, Say to your soul those words. Number five, writing it down getting a, or getting a personal copy. Deuteronomy 17, we mentioned that. The king got his own personal copy. Number six, two verse, choose verses you need now. If you're going to memorize some scripture, you're not going to be like, well, I'm going to do the whole Bible like that guy Pastor mentioned in, in uh, Indiana. He's got all these books. I'm gonna, don't, you might not want to try that. Just maybe start with some verses that you need right now in your life. What is it that you're struggling with? Sift through your Bible and grab five verses about that. Write them on a three-by-five card and just marinate your mind in those and see if it doesn't make a difference. The Bible says, um, the, the entrance of thy word giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple, Psalm 119, 130. Number, uh, number seven, what helps us memorize? Putting it to melody. 
putting it to melody. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. How many of you know, let's look in Psalm 61. How many of you know this little song here? I was trying to sing it to myself today. There's a melody for a lot of songs, psalms, and verses. How many of you know Psalm 61, 1, 2, and 3? How many of you heard of the song from that? All right, some of you, you know it? Anybody else? Let's see if I'm alone on this. Sarah knows. Did Kenna, did you say you know that one? Anybody else? Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, and tend unto my prayer. Deb, do you remember that? Okay. Johnny? How do you know it? Because I sing it. You hear me singing it? Mr. High. Yes. You want to sing that? Let's try to sing that. Not just you. All right. Let's try to sing it, okay? I'll try. Okay, here we go. If you, can, if you want to join me, you can. I'll just do the, there's like two verses. Part of verse two is first verse, all of verse three is the second verse. I'll just do verse two. Here we go. Hear my cry, O God, and tend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I, that is higher than I. All right, there's a, there's a way you could sing verse 3. Also, I won't do that tonight. I'm just giving you an example. There's Psalms. I think that one is in that one, that one Maranatha chorus book we used to have. We need to get that again. But there's psalms that people have put to melody in the past 50 years or so. Somebody may have had this to a melody 500 years ago, and then it faded away. We certainly had a melody when this was written, and they, melodies are coming and fading, but the words are still there. But then even scriptures that aren't psalms, that are just scriptures, like there's Romans 8.28, is a, I can hear that I was singing that tune to myself today. There's a little tune for that. And that helps me remember. Oh, we are doing, Grant had Ephesians 4.32. How many of you heard Ephesians? I'm not going to sing it. Ephesians 4.32 in a song. Okay. Well, Grant was trying to work on that verse before King's Kids tonight. And so I'm like, all right, Grant, we're going to sing it. Let's sing that one. And we did. Rusty, I think you've been teaching some of the kids those. Yeah. Some Good. See, that, it helps. It just, that's the whole point. Obviously, a melody helps. All right, last of all, move my, while memorizing. That helps. Moving around while memorizing or walking, your flow of thoughts. Luke 24, verses 13 to 17, verse 24 and 32, you see Jesus walking with the men on the road to Emmaus, and he opens up the scriptures to them and talks, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. And it was like their understanding opened up, and I think it was a very memorable time for them uh, while they were walking. So what I'd like to do is I want to share, I'm going to read this story. This will be how we'll close. Actually, let's look at, open to a psalm, because I'm going to look at the psalm right after I read this story. This is an amazing story about a man who survived. Listen to this. He survived because he, was, he meditated and he memorized Scripture. And he recalled scripture from his childhood when he had no Bible with him. I'm going to read you this story. It's a Vietnam POW. 
Um, behold, go, look in Psalm 119, 57, and we'll read that verse in just a moment. I'm sorry, it's 157, not 57. We'll read that verse in just a moment. But here, listen to this story. I'm going to read it. A man named How. some of you may have heard of this guy. Uh, he was at the Hanoi Hilton. It's not a fun place to be if you're a POW from Vietnam. When Howard Rutledge's plane was shot down over Vietnam, he parachuted into a little village that was immediately attacked, stripped, and then he was stripped naked and imprisoned. For the next seven years, he endured brutal treatment. His food was little more than a bowl of rotting soup with a glob of pig fat, skin, hair, and all. Rats the size of cats, my dad told me a couple of those when he was there, rats the size of cats and spiders as big as fists scurried around him in this prison. He was frequently cold, alone, and tortured. He was sometimes shackled in excruciating positions and left for dead in his own waste and carnivorous in, as, with carnivorous insects boring through his oozing sores. How did he keep his sanity? This was seven years now. Five of them was in solitary confinement. In his book, quote, In the Presence of Mine Enemies, unquote, Rutledge gives a powerful testimony as to the importance of scripture memory. And here's some excerpts from this book. He says, Now, now he's in a POW, Now the sights and sounds and smells of death were all around me. My hunger for spiritual food soon outdid my hunger for a steak. Now I wanted to know about that part of me that will never die. Now I wanted to talk about God and Christ and the church. But in heartbreak, solitary confinement, I think that was the name of it, there was no pastor, no Sunday school teacher, no Bible, no hymn book, no community of believers to guide and sustain me. I had completely neglected the spiritual dimension of my life. And it took prison to show me how empty my life is without God. So I had to go back in my memory to those Sunday school days in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If I couldn't have a Bible and a hymn book, I would try to rebuild them in my mind. He tells some examples. I tried desperately to recall snatches of Scripture, sermons, gospel courses from childhood, and hymns we sang in church. The first three dozen songs were relatively easy. Every day I'd try to recall another verse or, or a new song. One night there was a huge thunderstorm. It was the season of monsoon rains. And a bolt of lightning knocked out the lights and plunged the entire prison into darkness. I had been going over hymns and hymn tunes in my mind. And I stopped to lie down and sleep. The rains began to fall. The darkened prison with wave after wave of water. Suddenly, I was humming my 37th song, one I had entirely forgotten since childhood. Showers of blessings, showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. No, I no sooner had recalled those words than another song popped into my mind. The theme song of a radio program my mother listened to when I was just a kid. Heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine, flooding my soul with glory divine. Heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine, hallelujah, Jesus is mine. Most of my fellow prisoners were struggling like me to rediscover faith, to reconstruct workable value systems. 
Harry Jenkins, another prisoner, lived in a cell nearby during much of my captivity. Often we would use those priceless seconds of communication in a day to help one another recall scripture verses and stories. One day I heard him whistle. When the cell block was cleared, was clear, I waited for his communication thinking it would be some important news. He said, I got a new one. I don't know where it comes from or why I remember it, but it's a story about Ruth and Naomi. He then went on to tell me that ancient story of Ruth following Naomi into a hostile new land and finding God's presence and protection there. Harry's urgent news was 2,000 years old. It may not seem important to prison life, but we lived off that story for days, rebuilding it, thinking about what it meant, and applying God's ancient words to our predicament. Everyone knew the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm, but the camp favorite verse that everyone recalled first and, and quoted most often is found in the Gospel of John, chap, third chapter, 16th verse. With Harry's help, I even constructed the 17th and 18th verses. How I struggled to recall those scriptures and hymns. I had spent my first 18 years in a Southern Baptist Sunday school, and I was amazed at how much I could recall. Regrettably, I had not seen then the importance of memorizing verses from the Bible or learning gospel songs. Now when I needed them, it was too late. He's saying I even remembered more. I never dreamed that I would spend almost seven years, five of them in solitary confinement, in a prison in North Korea, or that, thi or that thinking about one, listen to this, he goes, I never dreamed that I'd be here in this prison, or that thinking about one memorized verse could have made the whole day bearable. One portion of a verse I did remember was this, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. How often I wished I'd really hide God's word in my heart. I put my mind to work every day. I planned to accomplish certain tasks. I woke early. I did my physical exercises, cleaned up as best I could. Then I began a period of devotional and prayer and meditation. I would pray, hums him silently, quote scripture to myself, and then think about what the verse meant to me. Remember, we weren't playing games, he recalls. The enemy knew, listen to this, the enemy knew, the, meaning the Vietnamese, knew the best way to break a man's resistance was to crush his spirit in a lonely cell. It wasn't always about the, whether you're getting enough food and all that, it was break that guy's spirit down, mess with his mind. All right, he says the best way to do that is break a man's spirit in a lonely cell. In other words, some of our POWs after solitary confinement lay down in a fetal position and died. And here's his last sentence of this excerpt. All of this talk of scripture and hymns may seem boring to some, but the way we conquered our enemy, pardon me, but it was the way we conquered our enemy and overcame the power of death around us. Wow. Here's Psalm 119.57. 157. 
Many are my persecutors and mine enemies, yet do I not decline from thy testimonies. That's how he survived. So I, that encouraged me reading. I'm like, man, that guy, you know, my days aren't that hard. Right. And, um, and I can see how this guy survived. How much more could I survive in my day-to-day? Just having a scripture in my mouth, in my mind, in my heart. 